is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a a very special episode for you guys at the one and only wait for it boy meets world house take a listen are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out i'm afraid it was the sink oh really yes oh yeah you had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah i was behind the counter yeah right doing business constantly uh-huh. mom stuff uh-huh <laughs> Disciplining you <laughs> in Amazing. some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I want to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able... Place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception. And at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of 1000 2000 20000 All gifts are tax-deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. For the past half century, at least, really it goes back even further, the left has engaged in a long march through the institutions. They've amassed power in higher education, lower education, the media, big tech, corporate America, the list goes on and on and on. And conservatives have focused, for the most part, on short-term wins to the long-term loss of the culture. All that changes now as the Young America's Foundation announces the long game. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz.
Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles, joined as ever by Senator Cruz, and we are so delighted to be joined this week by Governor Scott Walker, former governor of the state of Wisconsin and president of the Young Americas Foundation. Governor Walker, thank you for being here. Uh, Great to be with you both. Scott, welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Ted. I am so excited to hear about this. A long game for conservatives. We always hear about the long march through the institutions and the left steadily winning and winning and winning. And somehow we always seem to to lose the the longer struggles, even if we win individual battles. Now conservatives are going to fight back. How are we going to do it? Well, through a series of things, but for us, it really is about engaging more students and engaging them sooner. And for example, uh, Young America's Foundation is uh, the oldest and largest uh, conservative organization focused on students, goes all the way back to the 1960s, starting in college campuses across America. But even being at a point where we we work with and support uh, students on about 2,000 campuses, that's just not enough. We've got to be on all of them. We've got to be on all 4,000 campuses. We've got to be not only with undergraduates, we've got to be with folks getting their two-year associate degree, the folks that are out ready and hungry to get to work. We've got to be not only in high school, but even in junior high, and increasingly, we've got to start to have uh, the early elements of, of a program targeted towards not only elementary school students, but particularly their parents, to teach them the values of, of why America is so exceptional instead of all the hate that they're getting from so many on the left. You know, S- Senator, uh, before I had ever met you in person, one of the photos that really made me think, I want to meet this guy. This guy has the right idea. I think it was a photo of you from college, and it was election night. <laughs> and you're there, you've got a cigar, you're tallying the votes. You were you were not a liberal in college. You were that young conservative from day one. So that was actually law school, and, okay. and, and that was election night, 1994. So it was the big Republican takeover yeah. of the House. Yeah. And so I'm at Harvard Law School, and we're having an election night party. And we had results, and and that was actually me putting the check mark when George W. Bush uh, beat Ann Richards, and oh, we yeah. had a Republican governor in Texas, and it was a big deal. And I'm wearing a, a Bush Quail T-shirt, <laughs> and look, they're a bunch of pinko libs at Harvard Law. They were <laughs> so <true>. unhappy, <laughs> and, and and let me just say, libations were flowing that night, <laughs> and cigars were lit, yeah, and it was a moment of celebration. But those are. Few and far between yeah. today. I mean, how do we turn it around? I, I think back to when I was in, in college and law school, and, and conservatives were outnumbered, but there were at least some of us there. We, we, we weren't quite persecuted by death squads at midnight. Right. It, it, at times, it feels like that's where colleges are now. How do we change that? E- even in the last few years, because certainly in our generation, uh, you and I aren't too far apart. Yeah. And we think about, yeah, there were left-wing professors for sure, but but you could still have a voice, and you certainly weren't going to be run down by your fellow students. Today, I, I think even more than the professors, most students are worried about the grief that they get from activist students of just being shut down and pushed out of the conversation entirely, or, or worse, actually being attacked and villainized and, uh, and, and worse along the way. So we've got to show more than anything. And you guys have both been at our conferences before. One of the most important things we show students is they're not alone. Uh, and so for the students that are there, it's great. Ron Robinson, uh, the longtime leader of, of Young America's Foundation, did a great job running a program that was really well fitted uh, for the students who came to our program to let them know they weren't alone. We just got to reach more. Yeah. And that means breaking down the barriers. Part of it means in the Legal Route Center, you know about this, fighting the battle in terms of free speech and changing the rules. We've had big victories, for, even at UC Berkeley, where we shut down the program where they all but made it impossible 
for a conservative speaker to come up on campus. But we can't just go there. We've got to make it possible on every campus in every part of this country and then flood those campuses with conservative speakers and programs and opportunities for those students. So right, right now, YAF is in about 2,000 campuses. Yep. And, and the goal is to double that. There are about 4,000 universities in, exactly. in the U.S. We want to be at everyone, public or private, uh, college or university. We've got to have a presence in every campus if we're going to turn the tide because the left isn't conceding any ground. We shouldn't either. Well, and, and so much of what's missing on the right is, is storytelling and humor and having fun. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity right now because the left is so unfun. They're so <laughs> serious. And I, I mean, I mean, it, it's almost like, like Handmaid's Tale. And I actually haven't watched Handmaid's Tale, but, but it seems like a bunch of Puritans trying to control every aspect of your life. You must conform or you will be silenced. That seems like a great opportunity for young people who just want to be free. And they want to be free and they want to have fun. I often say on campus, you know, a great difference between freedom and socialism, because it's not conservative or liberal, it's really as fundamental as freedom or socialism is, you know, socialists are like the taxi, you know, where taxis are in cities with, uh, where they want to control things. Uh, they tell the taxi what they can do, when they can do it, big fee involved, and they usually box everybody else out. That's because in those cities, just like in socialist countries, they tell you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it because they believe in the government. I said, those of us who believe in freedom, we're like Uber or Lyft. All, you know, Uber or Lyft just cares about getting the passenger and driver from point A to point B safely. I tell the students, you know, as long as you don't hurt the health and safety of your neighbor, go do your own thing. Live your own well, life. Well, and an interesting point that nobody knows because it got no press coverage, but Joe Biden's nominee to be Deputy Secretary of Transportation was the head of transportation in New York City. Uh, huh. And she spearheaded what was widely called the most draconian crackdown on Uber and Lyft in the country. I remember. Yeah, for Be sure. Because it was, we got a monopoly for with years. taxi cabs and we don't want these small businesses. We don't want entrepreneurs and we're going to crush Uber and Lyft. Absolutely. That's how Joe, who Joe Biden picked to be the number two person of the Department of Transportation. And of course, every Democrat lines up behind them. And, and, and it's an example of how today's Democratic Party, they're statists, they're collectivists. You know, I, I see this point. I, I totally agree. And I, I think a lot of what they're doing is unpopular. And uh, we have a naturally better pitch, I think, not just to college students, but to everybody. By the way, Uber and Def Lyft are both hardcore Democratic companies that <laughs> right. support Democrats exclusively <laughs> at, at their right. own peril. while the Democrats right. are trying to crush them. At get their them own peril. Completely exactly. Because right. it's like chic to be yeah. supporting the party that's trying to drive you out of business. It's a exactly. sort of a masochism, I guess. Uh, but they're really good at this, right? I mean, yeah. the, the left is so good that they get these companies to to support them, even if it hurts their bottom line. And, and even getting back to the title of this program, the long game, yeah. you know, the long march through the institutions was successful because, to quote Antonio Gramsci, that uh, communist theorist who's kind and, of behind and, you know, a lot of does, this. It, does a day go by that you don't <laughs> quote, quote exactly. some obscure communist <laughs> theorist? Know, of course. I mean, it's, it's sort of, your, it's yeah, become cliche at this point. <laughs> exactly. you know, I actually think Crack they need to put a, a warning on attending Yale that <laughs> That if you go to Yale, you're going to make these random references <laughs> See, that no one other than former Yaleys is going to have any idea what you're talking about. You go for Chinese foods. The rest of us open up, you know, our cookies and see, you know, a uh, nice little saying. At yeah. Yale, they give you these great quotes. They give you that. Well, and the problem too at Yale is they all love the uh, Italian communist theorists. You know, they're, they're always quoting him very admiring. What was the, yeah, the answer, the difference between a socialist and not is, is those who understand a socialist versus those who quote a you're socialist. You're right. They say that the uh, socialist re 
precedes right. Karl Marx and the conservative understands, understands Karl Marx. But, you know, I will say to give the devils their due, the, the radicals were really right about this, where they said, Gramsci had this point, he said, there's a war of maneuver. It's when you kind of, you know, you advance and you retreat and you fight yeah. each other. And that's only effective sometimes. But the war of position, yes. where you just amass the power yep. very subtly, very gradually. Now we're at this point where a lot of the Biden administration's policies deeply unpopular. We're at this point where a lot of college students, I think, would like to be able to speak, would like to be able to learn. They're not able to do that because the people who hold those positions of power can wield it. And and we as conservatives never seem right. to be able to do anything about it. Well, and part of it, Michael, is because I think inherently we don't put our faith in the government. So we win elections, do what we say we're going to do, or at least those of us who are successful are, and then move on to the rest of our lives. The left, I mean, everything they do is about power. I mean, even this latest uh, political power move uh, that's the first bill in the House is all about power. All these things are about power. Yeah. So you can see why their whole life is consumed with it. Um, the wake-up call, I think, for those of us, it's not enough just to win the battle. Yeah. We've got to win the battle of the day and the war going ahead. And it's going to take more than just a news cycle, more than a presidential cycle. It really is going to take a long game to get this. Well, Senator, I, I will speak for you. I, I, I'll presume to do that when I say we would certainly like to be very involved with uh, with that long game going forward. Well, we got an exciting announcement tonight, too, because you guys were both super uh, popular at our conference, the Freedom Conference, a live in-person event in the free state of Florida uh, that was just about a month ago. You did the verdict live in front of our students. They absolutely loved it. We'd love for the rest of this year to have you embark at at least a half dozen more opportunities like that. Maybe you can do a Freedom State tour. That sounds uh, that'd be great, a great to way me. to go that... out to college campuses and share the verdict as a way of speaking directly to the to college students and then broadcast it all across America. Well, and it's an exciting collaboration. So we're going to be working with YAV, yep. going to six college campuses in the next year, doing doing Verdict Live. And so sitting in front of your campus, and, and actually we haven't decided on the six campuses yet. Right. So, so this is a great opportunity for everyone who listens to Verdict, everyone who watches Verdict, is, e email the mailbag and, yep. and, and let us know if you want us to come to your campus and, and by the way, we're not Fill looking for love fests. Up, right? we're, yeah. we're looking for places where the domineering force of the totalitarian left is a problem yeah. and, and where, where truth and light are needed and they're needed in darkness. They're, they're needed when, when lies abound. And so let us know. Uh, how do they do that, Michael? So uh, people can email mailbag at verdictpodcast.com. Uh, also, you can tweet us for now. I mean, we're all still on Twitter for now. <laughs> Who knows how long that will last? Uh, but uh, until Trump Facebook Twitter launches, <laughs> the, well, and then you can certainly—I right. don't know the mechanism there—but <laughs> but certainly you can send it in that way. But please do do send in those suggestions. I can't wait because you know the left rushes in where angels fear to mm -hmm. tread, and, but they're in the long run through their persistence, they, they've really amassed a lot of power. And so I totally agree with you, Senator. As much as I will get a kick out of going to a lot of conservative schools. I, I also would like to get to those left-wing campuses and actually try to crack up the left's uh, control there. Speaking of control, by the way, yeah. I, I do have to bring this up with, with both of you guys. H.R. 1, this is a law, it's, it's a bill, it's being floated. I thought it was so absurd and ambitious and radical that it would just be laughed out of the room, we wouldn't have to worry about it. it it's a bill that could really threaten our election integrity, the kind of the whole structure of government here. It looks like it's plausible. Well, it shouldn't be. And in anything mm -hmm. resembling the merits, it wouldn't be. But, but right now, 
Democrats have the White House and both houses of Congress, and, and it really is the crazies who are driving it. So, so let's take a minute. One of the things Verdict does is, is try to help people understand what's really going on. So let's talk a minute about what's in this bill. I mean, I mean, even the the intro of HR one. I mean, who talks about HRs and S one like like that? You're right. But it actually says something. So the one yep. means it's the very first bill that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats introduced in the House. S one, which is the counterpart, yeah. means it's the very first bill that Chuck Schumer and the Democrats introduced in the Senate. And and I think it's interesting that their first priority wasn't COVID wasn't immunizations. It wasn't getting kids back in school. It wasn't reopening the economy. Their first priority, more than anything else, is staying in power. And and this bill, it's 700 pages long, and, and it is this massive, it, it's every bad idea the left has had to lock in their power rolled up as one. So what does it do? Uh, it takes virtually every state law that was passed to protect election integrity, and it strikes them off the books. So a bunch of states have photo ID. You got to ha have a photo to go vote. HR1 says that's illegal. No more photo ID. You may need one to buy a beer, to get on a plane, to drive a car, but voting, no problem. So it's not just saying you don't need the ID. It's saying you you can't have those laws. You can't well, require it. Wow. It, it sets sets them all aside. Uh, not only that, uh, it automatically registers people to vote. Does it automatically? Uh, anytime you interact with the government, so if you're getting welfare benefits, if you're getting unemployment benefits, you're automatically registered to vote. Now, the Democrats know that this will register millions of illegal aliens. That's the intended effect. And then they're locked in. Then okay. they're locked in. And one of the real purposes of this is to get millions of illegal aliens voting. Once they're registered, get them voting. Not only that, but this bill, a bunch of states have very reasonable restrictions on felons voting, on criminals voting. A lot of states have made the decision, you know what? We don't really need murder, uh, murderers casting ballots. Yes. Right. This bill strikes aside every one of those laws and says criminals should vote, murderers should vote, rapists should vote, child molesters should vote. And, and it is designed to ensure that, that you get millions of illegal aliens and criminals voting because I think the Democrats quite reasonably have come to the conclusion that if illegal aliens and criminals are voting, they're going to vote for Democrats, right. and the Democrats could never lose. This is about Democrats being in charge of the federal government for the next hundred years. Now, now I know that we were all supposed to believe that Joe Manchin, the one of the two semi-moderate Democrats, he was going to hold the line and stop this from going through in the Senate. And there are all these questions about the filibuster, and there are all uh, all these sorts of things that I think a lot of people just don't pay a lot of attention to the technicalities of. What is the likelihood that this thing gets through the Senate? Well, I think it's real. I mean, I uh, think from everything you know, Senator, you you know firsthand, but from everything we can see, uh, Manchin is setting the table to say, well, in this one instance, for this particular thing, it's important. It's about election reform, election integrity, everything that's just the opposite of what it is. Right. And so I'd say anybody watching or listening right now, particularly if you live in West Virginia, Arizona, states like Montana in particular, let and, and plenty of others. I mean, there's, I think, competitive seats in Nevada and New Hampshire uh, coming up this next year as well. Let your senators in particular know where you stand on this issue. And I would say not just Republican or conservatives. This, If you look at things like voter ID, you, you yeah. talked about it wiping out state laws. I signed as governor uh, a measure that had broad-based support, not only amongst Republicans and independents, but even a fair number of Democrat voters, not yeah. uh, politicians, 
uh, but people who weren't in office when the polling was out. Not that everything's done by polling, but it just showed that people logically think, hey, if I've got to show an idea, if I'm going to go get an immunization, uh, if I've got to do it to get on a plane, if I've got to do it for all these other things, it's probably a good idea to actually show one to ensure the integrity of the vote. should be easy to vote but hard to cheat. They right. wipe that all out completely. And then on top of everything else, Senator, you said – they would take the New York style campaign financing system, which takes taxpayers' money from all of us and then picks the people who will take it. Yeah. And oh, by the way, they can take a salary on top of that to double on what they're making in the elected office. It is all the really bad ideas. This is why I call it the Crooked Politician Act. Uh, but you're right, the HR1 is important to know because it's the first priority, which is what we were talking about before. Yeah. The long game for them is right. not about ideas. It's about power. But, well, and, and what Scott just said there, I mean, an element of this, it's about welfare for politicians. It says if you raise a dollar as a candidate, the taxpayer gives you $6. So it's literally flooding millions of dollars to wow. fund the campaigns of politicians. Because if you think who are the most needy, deserving <laughs> souls on the planet, clearly they're politicians. Especially these hard times. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I will say... So Scott and I, a week ago, were at a gathering of, of conservative leaders, and, and we, it was an all-day retreat, strategy retreat, looking at the threats mm -hmm. facing the country. And, and we spent probably half the day talking about H.R. 1, which we all agreed together, we'll never call it H.R. 1 again. Names matter, and no one knows what H.R. 1 means. And so the consensus in the group, Scott says, Crooked Politicians Act. I'm calling it Corrupt Politicians right. Act. Yeah. In some ways... Corrupt or crooked are both redundant with Politicians Act. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but let me I mean let me ask you in, in all seriousness. So, so you were elected statewide in Wisconsin multiple times, a purple state. Right. How would those campaigns have gone if if HR one, if if the Corrupt Politicians Act had been the law? What what would that have meant for you? Oh, I I think it would have pushed an incredible imbalance. So a shift the way. Uh, so that I don't see a conservative winning, a Republican winning statewide in a state like Wisconsin anytime in our, probably in this next generation, if that law stays intact. So, so, it completely so criminals the were not a good constituency <laughs> no, for you? Exactly. <laughs> not at all, particularly considering I didn't do any pardons. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that's particularly true. But, it, it, and it, and, but just all the other mechanics, even the photo ID requirement, which again was fairly universal in, in support out there. And for all the hype and hysteria about how it was going to diminish the ability of people to vote, we've constantly seen growth. Uh, the, very, the very reporters that ask, about how photo ID uh, taking it away somehow would change voting, uh, were the same ones claiming it was going to diminish the vote, then tell you that this was a record turnout in the last presidential election. You know, right. an interesting follow-up to the meeting we had is, is that you and I and a number of others went out to try to communicate to the American people what Biden and the Democrats want to do is ram this through in the dark of night and get it done so fast no one realizes what happened. And so I think there's a real need to educate people about the the, the, the threats of this. And, and so following up, I did a whole numbers of, of conference calls and Zooms yeah. with different groups, including ALEC, which, yeah. is, as you yeah. know, is an organization of conservative, libertarian, liberty-loving state legislators. And so I wanted the states to know, you know, in every state, states have passed important election right. integrity laws, all of which their Democratic senators are preparing to, to repeal. Right, right out. And, and so I talked about it. Well, apparently somebody on the call taped the call which in this line of work you assume yeah. is pretty much always happening. Right, right. And they leaked it to the AP. And so this week the AP had this breathless story <laughs> about Cruz says HR1 will let millions of illegal aliens and millions of criminals vote. And the funny thing is, like all these lefties begin attacking it, all the press begins attacking it. 
nobody actually refuted the substance. Bingo. <laughs> they didn't even engage in the substance. They just, oh, what a ridiculous thing. Of course, Democrats <laughs> don't want to do that when that's what the bill does. What is the what? What else would be the point? Well, of the and bill? that's their long game. Right. I mean, that goes back again. Why this is so important because. Yeah. Everything you see setting up with something like this crooked or corrupt politician act is really not just about today's battle. Yeah. It's about looking ahead. Right. It's exactly why yep. we're trying to counter it, not just by engaging in this battle, doing what Ted and I and others are trying to do, speak out about, put the pressure on your senators, let's not let this happen. But it's also why with Young America's Foundation, we're engaging in this long game plan because we know you not only have to win the battle, you've got to win the war for the heart and soul to save this republic. And you don't do that by just doing battle by battle. You've got to have a long game plan going forward. And that's exactly what we're doing. Well, and I do want to hit on this corruption a little bit, because that was the, the first thing I thought of. I thought, I said, is it even legal for members of Congress to be totally grabbing all this power over elections? I thought they weren't supposed to be the ones, you know, figuring out the rules of their own elections. What could go wrong there? But but the the other uh, really corrupt body that uh, governor you have particular experience with that right now is keeping millions of American school kids from getting an yeah. education is teacher unions and I think if, is there any greater example of leftist corruption mm -hmm. and yet political effectiveness than right. the than the teacher unions? If Chicago, the city of Chicago, where by the way the Catholic schools have been in session safely and successfully since last fall. Yeah. If the Chicago school district, where they've been trying for months uh, to get the schools open and the teachers back, if that city was in Wisconsin and not Illinois, they could be open. Uh, because our laws, we got, we changed, we threw out collective bargaining because of that power. I said, people always said it was about unions, it was about budgets. No, it was simple. It was about taking power out of the hands of the big government special interests, the union bosses, and putting it back into the hands of the hardworking people and the people they duly elect to run their local and state and, and ultimately federal government, by putting that power back, they make the decisions, not the union bosses. And sadly, in places like Chicago and many others across the country, the union bosses are making that decision. Probably one of the worst examples, Fairfax County, just outside of our nation's capital. Not only did the union say no, they jumped the line in front of seniors and others wow. to get vaccinated and still said no. Talk about the outrage. They should not be controlling things the American people should be. And, you know, Scott draws a really important distinction that sometimes in discussions gets missed. And it's a distinction between the teachers' union bosses yep. yeah. and the teachers. Right. right. There are millions of wonderful men and women who love kids, who go into teaching because they want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. They want to, they had a teacher or two that impacted their lives and they want to do the same thing. And, and many of those teachers are held hostage by their union bosses. You know, I, I, got, I won't say which teachers. I, I, I speak to a number of my teachers still. We still stay in touch. Mm -hmm. And I, for their careers, I won't say which ones because they will write to me and say, I'm just so frustrated with the union leadership and with the administrators and with all, basically all these political rules which keep me from teaching my students. So, so since I outed you as... as a Yale geek earlier in the show, <laughs> I, I, I will admit, so one teacher I had who made a huge difference in my life was Mrs. Lozier. Now, she was my senior high school English teacher yeah. and, and a wonderful teacher. And and she had a policy that, that you lost 10 points on a paper if you had a single misspelling. So I still remember senior year, I wrote a, wrote a paper where I was copying a quote, and the quote included the word verisimilitude. <laughs> 
um, which which That's I hard had, even say it, it is, and, <laughs> and, and I wrote it on a note card, and I didn't know what verisimilitude meant. Yeah. So when I wrote it on the note card, I misspelled it, and I spelled it instead of veri similitude. I spelled it ver similitude. Mm. And since I didn't know what the word meant when I right, put it in my not? paper, yeah, I couldn't yeah. tell it was misspelled. Yeah, yeah. She took off 10, and gave, I ended up with a 90 on the paper. I still remember uh, to this day. It's the and lowest you know grade what? he ever got in school. I, I, yeah. But but I, I never forgot the word. I mean, you want to talk <laughs> well, about yeah. a teacher making a difference, those 10 points to this day. It's true. And That's when I was in third grade, I had a speech impediment, so I couldn't even have said that when I was that age. <laughs> That, you know, it, it is funny. There are those moments. I, I hate to admit it even myself, but a few of those, yeah. even even if it's a negative mark, when teachers really care, that's a wonderful yeah. thing. And Governor, you did you did it very well, which is you drew this distinction yeah. between crooked union bosses Absolutely. and uh, the teachers well, who were Well, prime example of that. So ironically, it ended up involving my kids because the year before I was governor, a young woman in Milwaukee, the biggest school district in the state, uh, was named the Outstanding New English Teacher of the Year. But in 2010, people forget Democrats in my state had cut because the federal government cut aid, the economy was in shambles. Democrats in charge of state government cut aid to local governments, including school districts. So what did they do under the old union contracts? They laid people off. Who was one of the first to be laid off? This woman named Megan Sampson, who had just got the award for being the best new outstanding English teacher. Uh, The irony of ironies was not long after that, uh, the Wauwatosa School District, which is where my kids were at, picked her up as a teacher. She ended up teaching my kids in high school and was a fabulous mm-hmm. English teacher. Yeah. I, I don't know where her politics are at. Uh, probably wants to be out of the limelight. But it was a prime example of that school district used our reforms mm. and was able to hire someone as exceptional as she was to benefit my kids and all the other kids at that school. Those are the people we're trying to protect and the students along with them. The union is not looking out for them. They're looking out for what's best for the union bosses and for getting their money. And you think about where we are right now. So COVID and the COVID lockdown started a year ago. We were told a year ago, flatten the curve. It's just going to be a couple of weeks and then it'll all be over. Right now today, only 40% of school kids across the country are in in in-person school five days a week. I mean, that's staggering. More than half of the Mm -hmm. school kids in America are not in school. They're doing virtual school. Look, with with our girls, they're 10 and 12 now. Virtual school was really hard. Our girls, thankfully, are back in person now. But it's amazing what the union bosses are doing, that their argument is, as many of them are saying, give us the vaccinations. Many of them have gotten the vaccinations. Great. I think absolutely teachers should get vaccinated. Give us the vaccinations, and we're still not going to teach. And the union bosses (laughs) are just... And you look at what is happening now Kids across the country for a year have been falling behind in reading, writing, arithmetic. And I got to say, Democrats don't don't seem to care. That should be the eye opener in in this whole debate, not just again, not just in the battle of the moment, but long term, particularly amongst blue collar working households where I think that's a huge distinction, where if mom and dad both have to work, particularly if they got younger kids, and you got grandma and grandpa who might otherwise have watched the kids, but they can't because they're yeah, worried yeah, about right. being you know, adversely affected by exposure. So where do they go? What do they do? I, I had a cabinet member of mine who, after our terms were up, went and ran a United Community Center, which includes one of the biggest predominantly Hispanic uh, student populations in the state of Wisconsin, and I remember last summer having breakfast with her, asking about how things were and if she was going to reopen the school then. And she said, I have no choice. I have to. 
These families will lose their mortgage. Yep. They will be kicked out into the street if they don't go to work and they can't go to work if their kids aren't in school. I think that's going to be the eye-opener, not mm. only in the terms of, I think it completely reshapes the debate over uh, whether or not we trust parents enough to give them the money that's otherwise controlled by the government to go pick the school that's right for their son or daughter, whether it's in-person or virtual, whether it's government-run or not. But I also think the other thing you saw in all this was so many of those the schools, even when they were virtual, would prohibit parents from watching what they were teaching, that should be another red flag yeah. for parents all across America that you need to engage yeah. even in the elementary school ages because what they're teaching you is not what they taught us and it's not right for your kids. So, so let me tell a story that kind of brings together several of the themes we've been talking about, which is a couple of weeks ago when we were voting on on the big, the $1.9 trillion porculus bill. Yeah. That, that you know, only 9% of the bill actually was COVID spending for healthcare, 91% of it wasn't. Um, it included tens of billions of dollars for public schools. I introduced an amendment that was focused on this issue we're talking about, which mm -hmm. is getting kids back in school. Yeah. And, and my amendment was a very common sense amendment. It was designed to, what it said is, is that public schools can get all this money if they open five days a week, right. if they're actually teaching, Easy if enough. they're essential, they yeah. can get <laughs> yeah. the money. But if right. they're not teaching, I didn't touch any of their existing money. So right. under my amendment, they get every penny of the, the money they get right now. But my amendment simply says you don't get the new money, yeah. Yeah. the additional tens of billions mm -hmm. of dollars. If you aren't open and actually doing your job, instead of that new money going to you to not teach the kids, that money instead goes to the kids and the parents scholarships up to $10,000 yeah. per kid yeah. because if the kids can't get an education at the school they've got, they got to be able to find an alternative. Absolutely. Right. Now, three epilogues to that. Number one, vote was straight party line. Yeah. Every Republican supported the amendment. Every Democrat voted no. And so, so it mm. failed 50 to 49. The reason is 50 to 49, by the way, Dan Sullivan from Alaska uh, had had to go, his father-in-law passed, and so he oh, was at a funeral yeah. in Alaska. Sure. So it would have been 50-50, instead it was 50-49. Every single Democrat was the deciding vote. Yeah. So in the middle of the vote, and this is where it connects before, you were asking about Joe Manchin at HR1. Yeah. Yeah. So I like Joe. I, we get along. He's a very nice, very affable guy. I came up to Joe, and I yeah. said, Joe, look. I reminded him of, in 2013, my, my biggest legislative accomplishment was, I'm sorry, not 2013, 2017, when we passed the big tax cut, yeah. I introduced the legislation that expanded college 529 savings plans. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. To K through 12 education. It's the biggest school mm -hmm. choice bill ever to pass Congress. Manchin voted for it mm. for about five minutes. <laughs> and Chuck Schumer and the Democrats yelled at Manchin and he went up and flipped his vote. Uh, now I ended up winning Manchin, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Mike Pence cast the, the tie-breaking vote and so it passed passed without Manchin's vote. But I reminded Joe, I said, remember 2017 where, where you voted for five minutes, you were with me. You were the only Democrat with the courage to do it. Come on, Joe, there are millions of kids right now, inner city kids, African-American kids, Hispanic kids that are not learning. Right. And, and he just shook his head and said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, you could see I don't know what Schumer has in his office, if it's yeah. thumb screws, if it's a medieval yeah. rack, <laughs> but, but the Democrats are terrified of crossing Absolutely. him, and it failed by a single vote. I'll tell you a final epilogue on that, which is, which is one of the— every Republican voted for, for my amendment, including Susan Collins. Yeah. And it was interesting, Susan—so Susan had voted against the 529 bill that I, that I passed, yeah. 
And and Susan talked to me, and I was gently encouraging her to support it, and, and she did. And she said to me afterwards, she said, you know, this is the only school choice bill I've ever voted for oh. in my time in the Senate. Hmm. And I was like, really? And she said, she said, all right, it's limited just now yeah. during COVID, during the emergency. I said, yeah. yeah. She said, okay, I can support it then. Like if your school that's the game changer. Yeah, I think yeah, right? it's not just for shut her. down. Yeah. yeah. The, then those kids, if you're not providing the school to them, right. then yeah. you got to give them an option. And I said, look, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. But it makes the larger point for that's sure. That's right. It shows yeah. the stakes of the whole issue. And what does it say that none of the Democrats? Mm. They don't have an answer to these yeah. kids that are stuck at home. They don't have an answer to the parents whose kids sure. are not getting educated. Well, because it all circles back. When you look at all of this, I, sadly so, because for years there were Democrats I didn't agree with uh, in my state, but I respected. You could work on things. But increasingly, it's all about the power. Yeah. And again, I, I go back to this theme, but it fits with why we're doing the long game, because for them, they have a long-term strategy. They're willing to ride it out, but they will never break from their power structure. Yep. It's all about amassing more power and more power and more power. And the only way they give on any of that, if it doesn't affect that, if it yep. does, with the teachers union, it's such a steady stream because they get those automatic dues. I remember when we had our debate, when we had 100,000 protesters occupy our state capitol, not for hours, but for literally weeks, yeah. for nearly a month's time, uh, the bottom line was the union bosses would have thrown away, they, they would have sold their members out for anything. They would have made them pay 100% of their pension and health care if only they could keep the automatic dues deduction. Yeah, right. And we gave those teachers, the good, decent public servants, who you're exactly right, yeah overwhelmingly want to teach kids. They got in for all the right reasons. They love children. They want them to do well. When they, when we gave them the chance whether they could choose whether they wanted to be in a union or not, that's when things went from 100 to a couple thousand to 100,000 protesters because the national unions could not let that happen. Hmm. The bosses wanted their money. And this, you know, gentlemen, we'll have to leave it here, but yeah. it does it does actually get me quite excited because we will be able to continue this conversation, not just here in the studio. We will be continuing this conversation on the road, on campuses, talking to real students in real life. And tell us your campus. Tell us where you want, tell you want us, us to come. Tell us where you want us to come. You can check out more about The Long Game at yaf.org slash longgame. Very easy URL to remember. And you can catch us on the next episode of Verdict. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.